Welcome to the Be Your Own Health Hero podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martinez. This show is for everyone who wants to better navigate their health and wellness journey. You'll get tips, resources, advice, and maybe a funny story or two. So put on your capes and hold on to your hats because we're going to talk about it. and thanks for tuning in. Have you ever watched an athlete and thought how graceful they were or considered how they make physically challenging movements look easy? Maybe you've seen someone in your community whiz by in the summertime either on a bike or running and imagined that they probably worked out incessantly while living solely on plain chicken, steamed broccoli, and sadness. <laughs> now, although many folks seem like they have everything under control, most often, there's someone working hard in the background guiding them along the way. That person is essential to them staying on track with their training and, more importantly, staying physically fit all year round. That person is a coach, and my guest today is an amazing one, to say the least. A Jamaican native, Chris has been athletic most of his life. Throughout high school and college, he ran track, played football, and like all dutiful Caribbean kids, he was a good student. He graduated from Virginia University at Virginia State University, and with a degree of economics and finance, naturally, he ended up becoming a conditioning coach. Fascinated with the human body, he spent several years in physical therapy, and he gradually started to fulfill his desire not only to improve himself, but to help others through personal training. Chris has trained clients part-time at the Manhattan Athletic Club alongside his full-time job on Wall Street, but he ended up generating about $40,000 for the club in one referral. Now, if that doesn't speak to his amazingness, I don't know what does. With 26 years of training, coaching, and learning under his belt, he has no signs of slowing down, except, of course, to take a moment to chat with me. Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to present to you the extraordinary strength and conditioning coach, Mr. Chris Hasper. Wow. Welcome. That is, wow. Thank you so much. That's uh, amazing. I thought it was the best introduction I've had ever. I appreciate awesome. that. Thanks. Awesome. I worked hard on it. <laughs> well, okay. well, Chris, okay. thank you for coming all the way to your computer. And um, let's begin by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself outside of my little intro. Yeah, you kind of covered a lot of it. But uh, so, uh, so not to put what you just said to repeat it, but um, I've been in the business a long time. Been, uh, I call it a self-improvement business since 25, 26 plus years, probably going on close to 30 now at this point. Um, and I started out as uh, just an athlete, just uh, wanted to compete, be my best, be the strongest, fittest, fastest guy around. And uh, that took me from Jamaica to here and in Virginia State, played all kinds of sport, tried a few things I shouldn't have tried, hurt myself, tore up my knee, physical therapy, uh, um, seven years of physical therapy. Uh, that's that's what sparked the uh, the interest in in helping others. Myself, I went. I've had ACL, MCL, meniscus, PCL tears in this left knee. Wow! All and uh, that <laughs> yes, uh, yes, right. <laughs> all all of that, and uh, seven years of physical therapy by a, a really good doctor, Doctor Ron Johnson. Won't forget if he's when he was at the time the rugby uh, USA rugby uh, uh, physical therapist, and so. That also leads to another topic I'm going to talk about. But anyway, she gave me the, the, the spark, I think, for this continuance. Uh, 
how do you get someone who's been hurt, who was an athlete, who gained some, 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 some weight, and to be back so close to what they were. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a small little, little window into, into why I do this. But also, um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to talk about myself because it sort of sounds like I'm trying to be no. <laughs> this person that... Uh, <laughs> You're yeah. not boasting at all. I mean, let me do all the praising. Yeah. That's fine. So <laughs> I know you. that you've worked with a variety of clients. And ladies and gentlemen, the way that I know Chris is he was introduced to me um, through several of the teams that I work with, particularly Black Girls Do Bike here in New York City and the Major Taylor Iron Riders. Some of my good friends are part of that team. So these are cyclists, triathletes, all kinds of athletic people that go to Chris on the off season, which is basically when it's too cold here in New York to train outside, they go to Chris so that he can either keep them in shape or get them back into shape for the new season. So who else have you worked with, Chris? Well, um, so, so I'm not to call names because these people may not want to be oh, known. But as far as the, the names, sports, don't be shy. Drop the names. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, it's uh, the, the U.S. My, my probably my most uh, best accomplishment is working with USA National Rugby women. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Lara uh, Phaedra Knight. She's actually probably the most famous because she's on a podcast and she actually has a podcast. And um, just working with that group of women for I, around close to like eight years. Um, the, the first time I got introduced to them was through a former colleague of mine um, who who was working with them initially, but didn't have the time after a certain point. And she said, listen, you want to work with some, some really exceptional ladies? I said, yeah, why not? I'm all for that. Absolutely. And we ended up meeting and the group formed an immediate bond with, the, with that group of ladies. And I'm telling you, we worked out in the sleet and freezing rain. We out there in the hot, cold, didn't matter. This was leading up to their first, to their World Cup season. This is 2006, I think. And um, at that time, I think the team itself, overall team was ranked in the world probably 12th. And uh, when they finished that World Cup, 2006, they were moved up to fifth. Um, the ladies in on the New York area, I didn't coach the entire team, just the ones in the New York area. I think it was about seven, I did 11, 11 ladies. And uh, man, it was, it taught me a lot about planning, how, you know, what we talk about now, world periodization, um, corrective work, because even though they're athletes, a lot of athletes have flaws, like everybody else. Um, muscular imbalances, postural issues. Um, and just basically injuries that they have, they've tried to overcome, they've overcome, but they've done things in the wrong way. So, yeah, that'll be probably my most notable, in my mind, my, my greatest accomplishment. But it was really, it took me deep. I had to do a lot of research. It's the first time I'm working with rugby players. And uh, it was, I'm telling you, eye-opener. Well, I, the commitment they, they showed, yeah. I completely understand. And that that's incredible because rugby players are, phenomenal on the field, especially women rugby players. I got to give them props because there's more than just agility and speed. There's a lot of strength that goes into that too. So if the fact that you took them from 12th to 5th speaks to your prowess as a trainer. Now you have gotten a lot of certifications and, and, you know, it's a constant learning journey with you. What have you gone through when you had to train rugby players? Like, was there a, a, another level of education that you had to go and figure out? Or, you know, is the body just the body? Yes. Well, 
yes and no. Yeah, the body is just the body, but no, it's not really because it's how you use the body. And I had to, uh, so there's an organization called the uh, National Strength Condition Association. They've been around for a long time now, over 30 years. And uh, their whole premise is working with the athlete. That's that's the whole, how, how the, the, it was set up. to work. Every strength conditioning coach that works in a professional level or in college level, they have to have the certification. You, you don't, you can't be that in that position unless you have the certification. And they're constantly doing research on movement, kinesiology, um, corrective training, um, uh, performance, of course, performance training, nutrition. I mean, they have so many researchers that work with the organization over the years. And I had to, I discovered them in 2004, but I was, I was in and out of the research. But once I got called up to do this, uh, work with these ladies, I had to go a little deep. So, you know, and I'm a believer in, in work. I think work capacity is what I improved on their side. And strength, of course, but the work, be able to work longer at that strength capacity, whatever that was, is what rugby is all about. You can be very, very, very strong, but if you're going to perform for 10 for five minutes, then it doesn't work because of the game is, what is it, 80 minutes? It's an hour and 20 minutes. So <laughs> you got to run, tackle, get up, pass, catch constantly. So, um, it's, it's a big field, it's bigger than a football field. So, when, and it's 15 players. Right. So you're always running. Yes. When you work with these clients, um, is there, is there more of a focus? Cause you're doing like, you're working with teams. So is there a focus individually on each person or are you like giving the team a general prescription? Well, that was the challenge. It was also individual. Mm. Um, out of the 11 ladies, there were, I had to, give them homework or meet me whenever we could. <laughs> yes, homework. Yeah, homework is a thing. Um, you have to meet me on the side and I will help to fix whatever the issue was. One, one particular uh, lady had a, a lower back issue. She's had some, some disc problems and how do we, considering the game itself is a heavy contact sport, how do we work around that? What do we strengthen? How do we go about? And that, I had to, two things I had to do. One, Fix the posture if she has rounded shoulders, which causes the thoracic spine to be more rounded. So extension was a, was a problem. When she extends, though, with the lower back, because the spine works in a very, it's the ones, one part of the spine teaches the other. So getting her being able to, uh, to, to get her core strong, really strong, her front side mechanics needs to be good. Sorry, what's front side mechanics? Being able to engage your abs and generate power from in front of you. Now, the backside things is, is where the power really lies, but this side has to be correct. How you contact, how you hit, you know, um, how you get up off the floor, you're not getting up with your lower back and using your legs to stand up your glutes. Huge glute work. Um, my trainings involved, my warm up is basically 20 minutes before an hour session, and it's all about glute activation, glute strengthening, um, being able to get up off the ground quickly because the game itself is, I call it from the floor up. Uh, because you're hitting the ground, I don't know, hundreds of times in the game, being tackled and standing up and running and back and forth. Depends on the position you play. Uh, so, yeah, I had to uh, work with certain individuals. Some people had flat feet, which means that their the knees were not tracking properly. So glute knee strengthening. Um, also look at their foot, what was happening, where they were uh, pronating inwards too much, which causes the knees to, to collapse. And can cause an issue, especially during contact. You get hit from the side, that could tear up ACL or whatever. Also, huge work on the posterior chain. That's your lower back, glutes, hamstrings, calf. 
because as much as some people are fast, learning how to slow down and change direction is key to rugby. And if you're doing it by slowing down through your balls of your feet and not through your heels using your glutes as shock absorbers, you run a risk of what they call non-contact ACL injury. And so that was a concern of mine working with the muscles. A lot of drills and change of directions and, and, and being able to load and unload real quick, going another direction, all that. Now in the field, the game, game like rugby, where you're running at top speed, acceleration, and slowing out real quick to tackle somebody, therein lies the problem because people forget if you don't drill it into their nervous system that they slow down with their heels and then tackle, instead of trying to stop on the ball of your foot, that means your entire body weight, almost your entire body weight, the moment arm becomes your knee. And with that much force going forward or whatever direction it is, the torque is going to cause something to tear. It happens in football players a lot. They're slowing down the sideline, got running up, and it boom, he tore his ACL. Learning how to slow down properly through the heels, using your, your glutes and hamstrings as shock absorbers, also having the strength balance of quads and hamstrings and glutes. A lot of times you have people who are quad dominant doing in a sport that they didn't do much for their hamstrings and glutes that creates this imbalance and all the forces in front, eventually it's going to cause an issue. Right. Now you tear or strain or an issue. I've definitely been accused of and, and been maligned with having weak glutes. So <laughs> explain. Having what? I said I've definitely been uh, accused and maligned of having weak glutes. So explain what weak glutes are because, ladies and gentlemen, for the regular folks out there, everybody thinks if you have a big booty, your, bo your booty must be strong. But that is a big <laughs> fallacy. So explain what weak glutes are and how we can fix them. And what they do, what weak glutes can do to your body, like in terms of affecting your performance? Well, the term weak glutes refers to the amount of force the glutes can produce in any movement, whether it be walking, going up by the stairs, getting up out of a chair, doing exercise called squat or lunge. Um, the glutes is pretty much should be involved. I shouldn't say pretty much. It should be involved in almost any mobile activity. Whether it be walking, spot stairs, running, jumping, you name it, the glutes are, should be heavily involved. And unfortunately, because of our society where we live, and you hear the stories all the time, sitting too much, sitting is a new cancer, um, all that has created and sitting in what we're doing now, sitting in front of a computer talking to each other <laughs> instead of walking and talking, that has changed the game. So we do a lot of sitting. Now, the body's not crazy. This is very, this is a, this is the first AI ever invented, the human body. You know, it knows that, okay, you sat for, eight hours today for the last 10 years, I don't need to have my glutes working. It's, it can take a break. So it, it's not like you, you uh, lost the ability to gain strength. What happens is it just turns off. It's not active in most of the stuff you do. What becomes active is your quads. The body will do what you want it to do. It will just do what it do, use the wrong or the muscles in the, in the, in the incorrect way. They're not firing as they should. Um, weak glutes, that's from weak glutes, uh, it's meaning can be, is varied, but that's my definition of it. Not being able to fix your posture on demand. What I do for a living is put people in positions where all the muscles that need to be, should say, all the muscles that are involved in, in, in mobile and, 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 and moving are there for you when you need it. Now, you see people with very, how should I say, um, very nice derrieres that walk around the street. And you think that, wow, she must be able, he must be able to do jumps and 
not necessarily the two, is the amount of muscle that's there is a an issue. We don't know how much that is. And the activation and uses of it. It's never, it probably hasn't been used or activated in years. Um, I always tell people, try to do a, a horse stance. Basically, it's in a half squat position, holding, holding for 30 seconds. What I found, what most people end up doing is leaning so far forward that the quads become activated. <laughs> the muscle activates and what's used instead of the glutes. Now, if you had both, it becomes a little, you can share the weight and share the work. And that's what having strong glutes are. Now, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put it in a way that folks, the audience can understand. Having strong glutes, being able to squat down and pick something off the floor with feeling, without feeling your quads overworking. Mm. It become, you don't think about it, you just do it, right? So um, most of Americans, uh, for some reason, this is, a, this is a study that was done about 10 years ago, most Americans are quad dominant because everything we do is from the quad. It, it, you, don't, you don't really think about the glutes until we have to wear, you know, go to an event or go to the beach right. to, try to show off something. <laughs> so, muscle. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to, to strengthen the glutes, you just have to start to use it in the fashion it was meant. For example, getting out of a chair. Have you seen how many times you see people stand up a chair and use their arms to get up? Mm-hmm. Or they lean forward and then use their back well, to that, stand up, right? Arm rest before, right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, if the term arm rest is the <laughs> operative word rest, uh, not, you know, usually to, uh, to propel you out of the seat. Right. It's a common thing. And I watch people in the subway. I watch people in offices. I watch people all the time. And I'm seeing it's it's 10 times out of out of 12, people get up the train, they use their arms to get up out of the seat. Yeah. Unless so there's amazing. not it's amazing there, then they just, you know, they'll get up another way. But if there's an armrest, especially in an office, because I work in an office, you'll see everybody using the chair to prop themselves up and get out of it. So that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for demystifying the whole weak glute thing, because I was starting to get a compliment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, don't get me wrong. You should get your glutes as strong as possible. The one of the things about the glutes, I'm, I don't want to uh, delve into deep, but there's three heads to the glutes, right? You have the glute max, the glute medius, and the glute minimus. The glute max is what everybody sees, you know, whatever, that you walk down the street in your pants or whatever. That is the biggest muscle of all the glute muscles. Now, that job has many jobs. That's uh, basically two jobs. It's a stabilizer, three jobs. Stabilizer is also a hip extensor and a hip rotator, right? It helps to rotate the hip, meaning that if you stand up on both legs and pick up one knee and rotate it out to the side, or standing and rotate your leg, the, the glutes is helping in that regard. There's other rotators too, but that's one of the main ones. So the media sits on the side of the hip, and it's like a fan muscle that runs from the top of the top of your pelvis and runs down into your TFL. Now it runs down to a tendon that runs down the side of your leg, attaches to your IT band that helps to keep your knee tracking properly as you walk. The weak medius glute medius causes tracking problems in the knee, and it also causes uh, instability when, when trying to do something they think you should be stable on. But if, for example, uh, a walking lunge. You walk lunge the point, find yourself all tipping over, right? And you don't know why? That's part of it. Also being able to orient it in that low position. And the minimus count does the same job for, for, for lack of, a, you know, getting too technical. But yeah, those three muscles, you strengthen them, and simple things like lateral steps with a band around the ankle, or laying on the ground doing leg lifts. These are all potential uh, 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 exercises that can help. But 
everyone should have a glute program attached to their workouts. And unfortunately, it's not the case. It's just they, they forget about it and they have to use it. And then, right. You know. Well, I, I uh, a couple of years ago, suffered from a glute medius tear. And it was painful until I warmed up. Once I was warm, I didn't feel it. It was no problem. But once my body cooled down, I, at one point, I couldn't even walk. And I teach fitness yes. classes and, you know, I'm, I'm constantly up and down. And I was training for an Olympic tri distance, had to stop that completely because I could not move laterally. It was just horrible. So now that I know what it does, yes. it makes sense because I also have um, meniscus tears. So the stability, mm. the stability part, like side to side, that, yes. that now it's clicking. It makes a lot of sense. And everybody's hearing all of my medical history. Sorry, y'all. In any case. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just so you, you, you tapped on something, that should be every, I shouldn't say everyone, most people's folks, especially for the general public, stability first, then build everything else around that. One of the problems that we run into is that folks try to go and do a squat right away, try to do all these exercises that are fancy and sexy without being stable. You can't build a house on a, on a bad foundation. It just creates a problem down the line. And, and just like yourself comes an issue. So, now, yeah. you've said something uh, to me recently that made a lot of sense is that if you look at gymnasts, uh, their bodies are amazing. But you say that they do a lot of body work, like body based, body weight based work. So when people generally go to try to start a new workout program and they want to get all of the quote unquote glory muscles, they're going to try and run into a gym and start lifting weights immediately. Please explain to the the ladies and gentlemen out there that body workouts, like body weight exercises, are where you should start, or what your prescription would be for someone to begin. It's yeah, it's uh, it's it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do with people's ego and everything that comes into play, especially in the gym mm -hmm. setting, because the moment we most people enter a gym or a group setting, the competitive nature comes out. So, oh, I can I can do a bench press with a bar. I can do this for the planet, you know. Um, so here's my take on it. Uh, I always tell people that come and they come to me, oh, I want to bench, be able to bench this amount of weight for this amount, in this amount of time. I want to be able to squat this or I want to be able to run a marathon. I say, okay, let's see, for example, a marathon runner. Can you do an in, uh, a walking lunge? What do you consider a walking lunge? And be stable. I keep going back to that stability. Nine, nine out of ten, especially for beginners, they have issues with stability. It's, it's, you know, they can't control the body. If you can't control your body, why well, am I going to give you a squat? All I'm doing is strengthening this function. We don't want that. Everyone has this function of walking to the gym, especially beginners, right? So we, and even people who have been doing it for a long time, what the people have done for a long time, they actually got stronger in their dysfunction and think it's okay. But learning how to move, learning how to jump, learning how to land, learning how to, to uh, land on your entire foot and generate power through your hip, ankle, and I mean hip, knee, and ankle, triple extension, those are skills that you get from bodyweight training. Push-ups, simple thing as push-up, off a counter, off a bench, off the floor, learning how to push yourself away from the ground, away from the stable surface, is also a skill. And again, I, and most people don't realize, push-ups basically are a moving plank. So if you can do 100 push-ups or 60 push-ups in a row, you have done 60 push-ups doing a plank. Right. <laughs> so you're moving, and that's how you should train the plank, is to also move when you're doing a plank, not just hold a plank. No one move. When in life are you ever going to do this and not do anything else? Right. 
you're going to end up, you have to, right? So the whole idea of doing a plank is to strengthen your core to do something. So you should do something while you're strengthening the core, while doing a plank. Um, the, the, what was the question? I forgot. That, that. That's okay. That's I mean, you it. answered the question and it brings me to the next point about okay. isometrics. Let's talk about that. You've mm. given me homework. <laughs> there you go. Always homework. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I, I did a free interview and he was giving me homework. And then emailed me to make sure I was doing the homework. So I have been. And, and yeah. amazingly enough, um, I he asked me to do like a holding plank, right? Like get to the lowest position you can for a push-up and just stay there. And the first day I did it, I was shaking miserably. To be honest, after doing it for several days in a row, my push-ups and my workouts have become so much easier. So let's talk about the gold mine that is isometrics. And how often people should really be doing those within their routines? Yes, yeah, that's the uh, that's one of the things that you know. You, you probably, I don't know if your audience does this, but I do. I look at old men, old strong men back in the sixties and forties and thirties that were able to take a what they call the York Park uh, dumbbell, basically one steel piece of steel that they cut a handle out of, and so a ninety pound uh, York. Uh, the dumbbell is really 90 pounds. The ones that we use in the gym now is to sit 90 on it, but it's not. It's more like 80 something because that half a pound, that's, that's not one piece of steel. And it's harder to move a condensed anything than it is to move a piece that they put together. Um, so the, the, how should I say? Um, being able to stabilize. So what happens is when you go into, for example, I'm using your example, you go into a push up position plank. All the stabilizers are being taxed. That's the ones in your elbows, the ones in your chest, the shoulders, the ones in your core, and everything is now under attack. And if we haven't done the stabilization work, it's going to—it's like you know a, 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 a tank is pulled into a to an area to fight, and you have BB guns. It's not—it's no situation. You're going to end up failing after 15, 10, 15 seconds, and you wonder what's going on. Why am I shaking this way? Because now you, the body will do what you want it to do, but it's going to use everything else to do the job than the muscles that, that should be doing it. Learning how to, how should I say, seal your pelvic floor, or like I'll use a different term, how to brace. Think of somebody punching the belly and you brace. That skill of learning how to brace and push out against your rib cage is also key in plank. People, a lot of people are sitting to a plank and they'll sit there and pull their belly button in. You have to use the air, oxygen, push out the sides of your abdomen, pushing down the air towards your pelvic floor, that means towards your groin, and hold that position. That's how you work at planks, not just in a plank or with a push-up position or forearms and sit there and let your lower back start to kill you because you're not bracing. All you're doing is trying to hold up your whole body with your transverse abdominals just muscle inside the belly. And if you haven't done any ab work, that's a problem. It, it's amazing how much, how humbling isometrics can make you. <laughs> because. Yeah, even like, go ahead. No, Sorry. it's okay. Doing just that, or, or there's a move called the dead bug, right? Where you're literally pushing yep. your arms, you're laying on your back and you're pushing your arms and your knees against one another. If you think you can do that yep. for a long time, I would love my constituents to please. Write, write into me and tell me how long you can do it for the first time. <laughs> it is hard. It, you know, you're right. Um, dead bug is, so there's another, there's a, 
the, the second part to that where you're literally on your back. The first thing is to do a dead bug before your audience does it, and they do it in the doing the wrong and strain your lower back. Once you lay on the floor flat on the ground, you raise your knees up. Make sure your, your thighs and your abdomen are 90 degree angle. That must be the case to start. Your hamstrings and your calf are at 90 degrees and your toes pulled in. That's a, that's a setup, right? To it. Once that happens, then you take your belly button and push it all the way through the floor. That means you gotta, with your lower back is flat on the ground. That's the bracing effect. And once that happens, you take your heel of your palm and put it against the knee. And your job is to push that knee, the leg, to the other side of the room and take the knee and push the hands back at the same time. Now, that's level one. The second level is picking your head up and your shoulders up off the ground, tucking your chin, holding that same position. Matter of fact, when the audience members listening, anybody who's had kids, any, right after that postnatal work, that's what should be done. You should never do a crunch, never do a, a sit-up at all. You wait. You should wait months. Do that isometrics right there. You will thank me later. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, you should see my face. I'm like literally grimacing because I know what this feels like. <laughs> Both examples, the yeah, dead bug exactly. and giving birth. So <laughs> I have yeah. an advantage. <laughs> Of knowing quite yeah. intimately what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, All only isometrics. Yeah, right? and and yeah. as he said, there are levels to the isometrics. So if you are someone mm -hmm. that doesn't have access to a gym and you don't necessarily feel comfortable going to a gym, there are things that you can do at home that will get you into really fantastic shape without ever having to set foot or spend a dime. And that's I'm a diva on a dime, so I don't like spending money um, unless it's my business. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> these things definitely are going to get you into great shape. And so you can look up isometrics. There are isometrics for almost every part of the body. You can check those yeah. out. Oh yeah. Now, um, you have also talked to me about warming up, warming up as an oh, yeah. aging athlete is super important. Even if you're not an athlete as an aging individual, warming up is really, really paramount. I know that I have to start myself up like a Buick. I got to wait 10 minutes. <laughs> I have to let it warm. I have to really sit there. It's almost like you're warming up a car in the winter, you know, and, and surprisingly enough, I used to think like getting on the treadmill and walking for a few minutes would be sufficiently, you know, warming up my body. I, I thought that until this man right here, Mr. Haskell told me to do a few certain moves within 10 minutes. I am sweating. And it's just the warm-up moves. So let's talk about warming up and what the importance of that is and what are some of the things that people can do that don't require them to, like, get up and run or something. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, warming up. And in, in, for me, I like to tell my clients and uh, athletes that warm-up has two phases. One is the, uh, the local core temperature, basically your internal temperature. Let's say everyone's temperature should be at 98.6 degrees. If it's actually lower, you should see a doctor. If it's higher... Be careful because that usually means you have a fever or something's coming on. Um, but 98.6 degrees, you need to warm up that core temperature just by moving to about 105, 110. Now, that's not that hard. On the treadmill or a walk outside for 10, 15 minutes, we'll get that temperature up. Uh, walk on the treadmill for a slight incline of 2.0 at 2 miles an hour for 5 minutes will increase the temperature. Once that happens, your core temperature gets going. It's going to start to push heat out to the rest of the body. Now, the second phase of the warm up is that's just an example. You can use a bike, you can run, not run, walk, you can do um, 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 what do you call that? Uh, a, a ski erg, I mean, the, the elliptical, whatever you can just to get your core temperature 
elevated. Then you want to do specific warm up, muscular warm up, where you're using your your muscles to do something. My favorite is because it's the easiest. One of the favorites I have is to uh, do what we call hip circles. We call it hydrants and hips. So basically, on all fours, basically sixes, you're on your toes, knees, and hands. Now, the key to this is also form. Again, with technique, the knees should be directly under your hips. And folks, don't forget your hips is not your butt. Is where your femur attaches to your pelvis. That's the hip. It's a separate joint. Because hips are a joint, not your big thing you see in front of you know ladies. Oh, look at your hips. No, you can't see the person's hips because it's not a shape to it. Um, it's a weird, it's where the ball and socket joint is. Anyway, um, lifting up, it's like, it's like a dog taking a leak in the hydrant. They call it hydrants for that reason. Lifting up, being not moving anything else but that entire leg. You got to pretend it. Then circles, same leg, clockwise, pick a number, 8, 10, 15, both directions, clockwise and counterclockwise, switch sides. And what you find is that that move alone, because you're using the biggest muscle on your body, your glutes, huge heat production. All of a sudden, you're, you feel like you're sweating. You wonder, wow, does that? Yeah, it works today. I think the fact that, so warming up is key. I think the fact that a lot of people skip warm-ups, a lot of people don't understand the, the um, importance of a warm-up is where injuries happen. Um, and, and they and take, you know, I've, I've been in gyms where people tend to look at me like, what are you doing? Are you ever going to get on this bench or whatever? Don't worry about me. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid uh, any injuries. And then you see someone like literally pick up a weight because they're showing off and you hear something snap. And you're like, aha, you didn't warm up. Um, do you prefer working with one-on-one -on -one clients or group clients and why? <sighs> well, not to sound vain, but I, I don't really have a preference. I mean, yes, you know, there is, I don't want, I want to be transparent. Of course, there's a monetary benefit to doing one or the other. But at the same time, I've worked with so many great individual clients over the years. Um, and I've worked with groups like the rugby team and uh, uh, semi groups of swimming teams and half a football team and so forth and so on. That the commitment is what the, 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 the issue is. Athletes come committed. Especially if you're trying to be uh, make a team or trying to get on team, you come ready to work because you're trying to make this team and be on this team and see how far it can take you. Um, the the sometimes my other clients, personal clients, they are a little bit less committed. They're they want to have fun and commit, <laughs> so they want to do all the other stuff that's not good for you. But come the next day and then show up and do and, and perform well and see progressions that are would happen if they weren't doing that stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of like a catch 22, but I try to, that's my first interview when I talk to them. I say, listen, you have to commit. You really do. You either, one or two things you have to reduce or, or completely omit the bad stuff. Would it be drinking, lack of sleeping, um, eating the wrong foods, too much fried or whatever? Um, these are things you have to commit one, do one. And then as we go on, try to do the others over time. I would love for you to please dispel the myth about crunches and washboard abs. Let's put this to bed. <laughs> so, yeah, let me just start with a joke. I will start with the rever I reverse engineer almost everything. Let me start with a joke. If doing crunches would give you washboard abs, people who, you know, overweight people who chew gum would have skinny faces. It does not work that way. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it's. It's never been proven. It's not going to be proven doing abs. If you're if you're trying to get washboard abs, 
you want to start in the kitchen. Again, reduce those profit, those, those processed carbs to a, to a fault. If you want to watch for that, you're going to have to reduce that, those, those that eliminated from your diet. If you want that to show, because everyone has those abs and you can get it to be much bigger. That's what the people who do those, uh, who get the hospital that they do exercises to build up the muscles there. But everyone has them, which you have to reduce the body fat between the muscle and the skin. Right. Um, what <laughs> is your secret talent? Hmm. I usually let people tell that about me, but, um, Secret talent. <laughs> so I, I, I get people to buy in. Um, I'm an open book. I tell people what, what, whatever depends on what their goals are. I tell them what's needed and what I can do. Now there are certain things that are beyond my scope, and I tell them that. I say, listen, I need to talk to the first, or you should seek the advice of someone else, a doctor, or whoever it is, a chiropractor, somebody else, because you can't know everything very well. You know a lot about a lot of things, and then I know a lot about what I first training was performance. But there are other areas that I'm not that schooled in um, communication. I would say I think I communicate pretty well, and the skill to that is so. There's a there's an art and a science to what I do. Most trainers are very good at the science, but they miss the art. What is the art? For example, you have a client you're working with real fast. I don't know, six months, and they had to go on a, a trip, a business trip, come back on a red eye. You have a plan. You've been having this plan going, and they show up to the training session. The plan cannot be the same coming off a red eye. You have to modify that plan and probably modify it a lot for them to work. Now, having in your head a library of exercises that can, off the, off the top of your head, like do it instead of that is important, but... The art of it is that communicate. We as personal trainers become amateur psychologists. Knowing your client well, seeing what frowns they make, seeing what, what the eye rolls, seeing the body language. Without them knowing you're, you're switching exercise and you just switch it. The effect is still the same, but it starts with a lower intensity and build up to where I need it to be. So the art of the, the game is where I think I excel the most along with communication. That's a communication, communicative thing. But the art is really, really important because you're working with people, not robots, not, you know, some. Right. It's, yeah. Um, right. Okay. So what is your favorite song or your favorite type of music to listen to when you're oh. working out? Ah, okay. <laughs> I told you, fun question. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Favorite song. So, you know, I have, I have, it depends on the genre. Each genre has, a, I have songs, but I, I can't remember the names of the songs. I know the song, but just the name of the song is always. Moving. Like, what do you listen just, to when you're working out? I listen to, oh, I listen to classical through hip hop. So, just my imagination. Once, uh, that's one of my favorite songs. There you go. And I like some hip hop, KRS One, and these are the new school, yeah. you know, you know, uh, Wu Tang. And there are some people now that, you know, Drake, you know, to extend uh, uh, then the crazy one, uh, um, um, the one doesn't matter, the one Kardashian. You're all crazy. Kanye. Uh, Kanye. <laughs> Kanye. Kanye. Yeah. So, yeah, those are some of the song artists that genres are like um, classical. Like, I'm a big, you know, Bach guy, but I love Pavarotti. I do, you know, Bocelli. So, 
it's a variety of wide range. Reggae, of course, is what I grew up on. So, you know, Bob, of course, is always going to be king. I, I don't get into like the, the indigenous music as much because it, I, it, I look for connection. Mm -hmm. If it, if it gets me emotionally, emotional, that's where my connection is. Right, right. You know, for example, Celia Cruz. Celia Cruz sings. I don't understand what she's saying, but that woman opens her mouth yes. and I'm automatically starting to bawl or get teary. It's just the craziest You're thing. Celia Cruz sang with so much passion. Mm -hmm. You know, there you go. I'm drawn to that. So, and my father's Cuban, so it was Cuban, so that's probably what it is, but it's one of those weird, you know. Yeah. I got it. Thing. All right, so this last one, I'm going to let you choose. You can either tell me your favorite snack or your favorite guilty pleasure. <laughs> well, my favorite snack is a tinge of, pinch of pink salt on avocado on a bed of lettuce with paprika. Um, that's my favorite snack. My guilty pleasure is black and white cookies. I swear to God, I cannot, I stopped buying them five years ago. I don't, they don't enter the house. They don't come, I don't go in the aisles of the market. When I go there, I avoid the aisle because if I see it, it's bought. That's it. I now know your kryptonite. That's it. <laughs> I know what that I That black and white cookie, I'm Christmas like, this, this is crazy. Yes. Christmas this year, I'm sending you a black and white cookie, a big one. <laughs> it's a craziest thing. I don't know what it's about. I, do, I know it's the addiction and the, and the sugar, but my God, I literally have to avoid it with the plague. I don't even try to supermarket. I look for the aisle. I'm like, okay, that's the, the cookie aisle. If nope. I ever, Let me go over here to if the If I ever am blessed aisle. to be able to train with you and you start to like really drive me crazy, I'm bringing you a black and white cookie. <laughs> Just to throw you off the stage. Oh, boy. Happy <laughs> fair. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go. Because we're not, we're, we're pretty yeah. much done here. But I did want to yeah. thank you so much for coming all the way to your computer and finding a quiet, safe space to speak with me. I appreciate you. Yeah. Let everybody know if you have a social media handle or if there's something you want to share with the audience. Uh, so I don't have a social media. I do have an Instagram account, but it's not uh, based on fitness. It's based on my writing and what stuff that I've done over the, you know, just outdoors on personal stuff. But uh, my email is cwhasfile at gmail.com. Probably the best way to reach me is when I check email constantly because of clients and stuff like that. But uh, that's the way to do it. Um, I do uh, do uh, what they call consultations yeah. um, for whatever goals you may have. You may not even work with me, but I can help get that. And there's a thing attached to that. But yeah, getting everybody on the right track. Thank yeah, you yeah. so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Same here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been awesome. Well, my friends, the time has come. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to the Be Your Own Health Hero podcast. Don't forget to tell all your super friends that they can find me on their favorite podcast platforms, on Instagram as BYO Health Hero, or you can email me at info at beyourownhealthhero.com. Please like, subscribe, and share. I'm your host, Joe Martinez, and until next time, I'm out.